One, two, three. <coughs> One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Don't. Monitor. So uh, there we go. Oh, yeah. That's.
Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
And good morning, this Memorial Day Sunday, 2020. It is good to be with you this morning. Again, we're online. Uh, we're looking forward to maybe being back together rather soon. We've put out on Facebook, and we'll be uh, putting it out on the website. It's also on the website. Uh, if you can find it, it's on the schedule page. It's on the menu, uh, our plan that we have going forward. But uh, we'll put it out uh, maybe a little bit uh, different this next week so you can find it a little easier on the website. But we, we do have a plan going forward. We're shooting right now for what we're calling a soft Sunday morning worship open only on Father's Day, June the 21st. And uh, we'll be doing Sunday morning worship uh, from that point on, on through the summer, uh, the rest of June, July, and perhaps even the first couple of weeks of August, we're going to let school get going, let that settle, and then uh, hopefully we'll be able to go back to our normal uh, operating schedule. But that's kind of the, the idea. Now, deacons, you're going to be meeting again Sunday, June the 7th. And on that Sunday, we're going to decide, is the 21st a go or no go? If there's not been any upticks in uh, the virus in our community, and everything square with our local leaders, our state leaders, then we're gonna, uh, we're gonna go ahead and reopen on the 21st. We're also gonna be providing a survey online. You'll get it this week, it'll probably be Tuesday uh, before it's online, but uh, what we're asking is if you're going to be here on the 21st uh, when we reopen, to please just go to that survey, uh, you could put your uh, last name uh, on there, and then uh, how many uh, you believe will be in attendance with you. I want to remind you again, too, that if you are uh, a senior adult, uh, the CDC says you are at higher risk, and they define that as anyone 65 and above, and you can think every five years, so 65, then you go to 70, 75, 80, 85, for every five years beyond that, uh, your risk considerably jumps a little bit higher uh, in combating this virus if you were to get it. So we're, we're asking our senior adults, those that, that might have a little higher risk and might be worried about uh, getting this initially, if you will, just kind of hold at home, stay at home. Uh, you, you, you get a few more Sundays off. Uh, you don't have to put on your suit and tie and your pretty dress. To, you, you can still worship in your pajamas, so to speak. Uh, we're going to give you a few more weeks just so that we know everything's good. Also, if you've got an underlying health condition, if you've got a heart issue, uh, and you could be a young person and have that. I mean, many uh, young persons had a heart surgery of some type. Maybe you've had some kind of uh, lung issue. Uh, you, you have a severe uh, asthma or something like that. Again, you are at a higher risk if you were to get this virus uh, and fending it off and, uh, uh, you know, recovering uh, would be a lot harder for you. So, again, higher risk health individuals, older individuals, give it just a, a little while longer. And when you get an all clear from our uh, state leaders, uh, we'll let you know and say, hey, come on, let's get going again, just like we always do. But we're praying for you. We do miss you guys, and it's not the same uh, with you not here. I, every Sunday, we, we talk about just uh, 
how much we miss y'all, and, and we do. And I know you're praying for us, and I appreciate that. Also coming up on the website is going to be a, uh, a, I don't know if you call it a survey so much as a form, uh, a contact form. We need to update our database uh, for uh, our members and our guests. And so we're asking our Sunday school teachers to help us with this. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a contact form on the website uh, for members and guests of First Baptist Alamo, those that uh, come and are part of uh, all that uh, we, we normally, normally typically do. We're going to ask you to put your name, your address, your phone number, your cell phone number, your email address to put that. You'll fill that out and you'll, and you'll hit submit. Now when you hit that, it, it's going to go to a secure private database that only we get here at the church. No one's going to see it. No one's going to see it on the website. It's not going to be anywhere. It's only going to be for our collection. And then we're going to put those together. And then when we do have some things that come up, uh, we'll have a way of getting hold of you or letting you know, uh, uh, maybe by notifications and email, uh, things that have been decided. And we can communicate a little bit better, but that needs to be updated. Now, Sunday school teachers, we're asking if you can get a hold of your Sunday school class, just check with them and say, hey, have you filled out the contact thing online yet? If they don't have access to that, can't do that, collect their information for us, and then in turn pass that back to us. And hopefully we'll get all that done in the next several weeks. We'll have a real good database of, uh, of, of everybody. But that's that's in our plans as well. Don't forget about how you can give. Give online. You can also send it uh, by way of mail, P.O. Box 241, Alamo, Tennessee, 38001. Uh, you've been faithful. You have been very faithful, and I want to commend you uh, on that as well. Well, today is Memorial Day, and it is a day where we remember the brave men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice for our nation, for our freedom. And so we want to remember them. We got a little video for you to enjoy. And then when we return, we'll close uh, uh, this kind of a welcome and announcement time in prayer. And thanks for those who have paid such a high price.
Join me in a word of prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning uh, for your love and your grace. And Lord, this morning we do stop and reflect and remember those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, who have given their life that we might be free. And Lord, we know that we lift this prayer this morning to a God that understands uh, truly what it is to, to pay the ultimate sacrifice for your Son and our Savior, Jesus, whom we worship and, and proclaim and, and bow before and declare that, Jesus, you're our Lord. You paid the ultimate price for us. And Lord, just as you reminded us uh, uh, to not forget when we do the Lord's Supper, we do that in remembrance of you. Lord, this morning we, we, we pause in the schedule of, of our nation and in our worship this morning to, to appreciate uh, the families and the men and women who have paid that ultimate price, who uh, paid for our liberty, our freedom uh, with their blood. And so we lift them up and we encourage the families this morning to know that they're not forgotten. They're much appreciated. Uh, they are truly the, uh, the most uh, noble of our land. And, and Lord, we, uh, we thank you uh, for uh, just knowing that, God, you watch over them and protect and, and take care of uh, those families that, that have suffered and gone through this. Lord Jesus, we also pray for the worship today, for our time gathered around uh, the altar of our heart. Just continue to bless us as we sing and as we pray, and Lord, as we hear your word. All these things, Jesus, we give you in your glorious name. Amen.
Father God, that is our hope. That is our, our privilege of being your children, that uh, we have more than we ever need, Lord. You are always there. You promise that you will never leave the righteous forsaken. You will never see us go under, Lord. You're always there. You're lifting us up. You care for us. And, Lord, you tell us to, to cast our cares upon you because you can bear it. And I pray that we'd help us to do that today, Lord, just to see that, that uh, regardless of what's going on in our life, you promise that you work in all things for the good of those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. And we want to again tell you thank you for dying for us. And we want to tell you we love you today. We ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. You take your Bible this morning as you have it uh, there before you, I'm sure, and I'm going to give you some time. I want you to be able to find the book of Habakkuk. So go. This is your Bible drill time. You can uh, find it. It uh, comes after Joel, Micah, and Nahum. And if you see uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, or Zechariah, you've gone too far. We're going to begin a series together uh, beginning today and the next two weeks, a three-week series, uh, thinking about this subject matter, when my faith is about to fail. When my faith is about to fail, that's really a good summary of what this whole book of Habakkuk is all about. And today I'm going to spend some time thinking with you on this subject, when God disappoints. Think about headlines in our community and other communities like us. You can think about subjects and storylines such as a mother and a father tragically lost in a fire. A child, not even a year old, missing. A young mother struck down by cancer. A married couple who suffers another miscarriage and loss in what has been a very expensive and extensive uh, fertility procedure. A family business lost in a mere week or weeks or month, a business that had taken a lifetime to build and to develop, a grandfather that's been hit with a stroke, or a grandmother that has been diagnosed with dementia, or a young family and young parents who have just been told by their physician, by their uh, pediatrician, that their child has autism. You know, it's easy to praise the Lord when everything is going well, isn't it? It's easy to praise God when the sun is shining and there's good health and there's money in the bank and food in the pantry. But what about those times when the dam breaks, when uh, the cl dark clouds appear over our life and, well, m some might say all hell itself seems to have broken out? What about those times when we have prayers that feel unanswered. Where's our heart when we pray and God does answer our prayers, but he doesn't answer it the way that we want him to? Would we be honest enough that maybe in even today, our faith is about to fail? That even though we proclaim a faith, and even though inside we keep saying, I believe, I believe, I trust in you, God, that there's that little tucked away part where we don't know how much longer we can really fully trust in God because of discouragement, because of doubt, because of disappointment. Job tells us uh, in Job chapter 5, verse 7, that man is born unto trouble or man is born of trouble. And as the sparks fly upward, we can just count on trouble in our life. Trouble is 
a part of living. There's an old Spanish proverb that says, there's no home without the hush. Now what that means is simply as sooner or later, it's just a matter of time, every home will know its bit of sorrow, its bit of grief. Sooner or later, a home will have its headache and heartache and disappointment. It was said long ago by a preacher, I'm sure, there's usually uh, one of three people that attend your service or that's in the service that listens to the Word of God being preached. And you put every person in one of three categories. They are either about to go into trouble or trial, or they are in trouble or trial, or they're just coming out of some trouble or trial of life. That's the way the life rolls, isn't it? And so I want us to look at this little book because this prophet, this minor prophet, uh, Habakkuk, deals with it. He deals with this disappointment that we sometimes feel that we have in God. Now, hopefully you have found it. Uh, I'll wide it out a little bit. It's, again, between Proverbs and Malachi, so that, that'll narrow it down a little bit more for you. But uh, I want you to, to listen to this book. Uh, it'll be beneficial to you. And if nothing else, <clears throat> you're up in heaven one day, and you're walking down the streets of glory, and you run into Habakkuk, and you strike up a conversation, and he looks at you, and he says, well, say, how did you like my book? Uh, you can tell him, oh man, I love this chapter, I love that verse, uh, that meant a lot to me. You won't be embarrassed to hang your head down and say, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Happy, I, I didn't read it. But uh, anyway, uh, let's look at this first chapter together. He is a minor prophet, but there is nothing minor about this uh, word that God has given us here. Beginning in verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. So he's had a vision, he has seen a vision, and now he's going to tell us about it. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so that the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Now this is God's answer back to that, that uh, prayer that Habakkuk had prayed. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an evil, swift to devour. They are all come from violence and their faces forward they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, and they pile up earth and take it. They sweep by the winds and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. And so the remaining part of this chapter 
is again a prayer and complaint of Habakkuk. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked shall swallow up the man more righteous than he? You shall, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? When you look at this first chapter of Habakkuk, it really breaks out into two sections. There's three sections that we read. It was an opening prayer, God's response, and what you could call Habakkuk's complaint. But really, you could break it down into two more general sections. There's, in general, Habakkuk's complaint to God, and then second is God's response back to Habakkuk about what he's complaining about. Now, the only time that we really even read this fellow's name, Habakkuk, uh, isn't until we get to chapter 3 and we are there told that this is the prayer of Habakkuk. So that's really where we get uh, the name of the book from because we know that not only was he the one praying, he was the one that was writing it down. But his name even gives us a clue as to what the book is about. It's a, uh, it's a Hebrew name that means to wrestle or to, uh, to embrace. He is struggling with God. That's the word picture of his name uh, that, that has this book uh, entitled Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk. He is struggling with God. He is wrestling with God. He is contending with God in terms of his faith. And so let's just, let's cut to the chase. Let's think about for a moment uh, what might make this book, and I think does make this book, really a, uh, a unique prophetical book. Because... When you read Habakkuk's prophetic writings here, it's a lot different than the other prophetic writings of the Bible in this way. You see, the other prophets that you read and in, in, in study in Scripture, they're usually dealing with God's disappointment in His people. But here, it is the prophet who is dealing with His disappointment in God. As someone who keeps a journal and tries to journal every day about what God is doing in his own life, in the life of the church, and in his community, I can tell you that when I read through this book, and I did read through it and, and studied on it, it reads like a journal entry. It really is Habakkuk's journal on his relationship with God as it applies to his nation and to his people and to his faith. You see, he is really a heavy-hearted prophet. Now, if you live very long, at some point, sometime or another, you're going to struggle. You're going to have sorrow. We've said that. And you're going to struggle in your faith with God. And Habakkuk is wrestling with really one question. And that question has caused him sleepless nights. 
It's caused him to lose his appetite. It's caused for him to have this unbelievable depression and this major disappointment with God. He looks at the world around him. He, he sees what's happening. And, and I will say it's, unbelievably, it's, it's a lot like the world that you and I are living in. Uh, it's a world where everything that's not nailed down seems to be kind of flying apart. It's a world where the bad guy seems to, to make out better a lot more times than the good guys do. Uh, and his question is this, if God, you're good, and God, you're in control, then why is my world falling apart like it is? If God, you're a good God, and you are a caring God, if, if you really do love us, God, then why is life so unfair? For Habakkuk, his faith is drying up like a desert. There's a writer, Gary Parker, he was uh, for a long time uh, an evolutionist, uh, and uh, the more he studied, the more he came to realize that what he had built his life on believing was wrong, and he turned to uh, faith in God and is a premier creationist today. But he wrote uh, several books, and in one of his books, listen to what he wrote as he talked about faith. He said, if faith never encounters doubt, if truth never struggles with error, if good never battles evil, how can faith know its own power? In my own privilege, a, a pilgrimage, Gary says, if I have to choose between a faith that has started, has stared doubt in the eye and made it blink, or a naive faith that's never known the firing line of doubt, I will choose the former every time. He said, in my own personal life, in my own witness, I have found basically that my life has grown in the relationship with God deeper when I have had to stand there even when doubt filled my heart and just push and press and keep focused in faith on God. It's not an easy thing. Habakkuk is doing the same thing in this book. He stares doubt. He stares the disappointment of his life right in the, in the face, and he makes doubt blink. He makes disappointment blink. And in the end, as we get to this, we're going to see Habakkuk wins. His faith is stronger. Now, I want to warn you, some of you are sitting there today. You're, you're where Habakkuk is in chapter 1, verse 1. You're struggling. You're, your faith is about to fail. It's fading. You, you're in that desert of doubt and discouragement. I want to tell you, though, that this is not an easy battle. And, and, and wins don't come easy. The struggle itself will be hard. And victory can be painful. But if you win... If you, if you keep that faith, if you keep that heart committed to God, when you get through the other side of sorrow, the other side of hurt, the other side of struggle, I will promise you there, were two, there will be two things at least that you, you gain by way of treasure that Satan can't take from you, that the world can't rob from you. Number one, 
you will gain a deeper understanding of what God is doing in your life. Today we wonder, what is God up to? What is God up to? Listen to what God said to Habakkuk in verse 5. He said, I am doing a work in your days that if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. I do, dear friend, I believe that God's doing a work in a world today. I don't believe that this COVID thing that has shaken our world is an accidental thing. I don't think it's happenstance. I do believe the Lord God Almighty, who is sitting on the throne of heaven, is doing a major work in our world. I don't know what that is, but I do know the one who's in control. A second thing you'll gain if you can keep the faith and you maintain that, that, that focus on God is this. You will have a much clearer of just who God is. Habakkuk, this righteous man who's believed to have been a priest and a prophet, had a dual calling on his life, thought he knew God. But when he gets to the end of the book, you're going to find that he understands God much better than he did at the beginning. So how do we handle these moments? How do you and I deal with it? How do we fight this difficult struggle in war and this hard battle that can be painful? Well, two things real quickly today. Number one, here's what I want you to see first. Confront God truthfully. Listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or how long shall I cry violence and you're not going to save? There is a modern Christian myth that needs to be silenced as best we can do it. And it is this, that if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, then everything in your life will become perfect and you'll have no problems. Dear friend, dear friend that, that, that's a lie straight out of hell. Just because you gave your heart to Jesus doesn't mean that you're going to get from that point on a carefree, problem-free life. It just doesn't work that way. Now, the big problem, of course, is taking care of a broken relationship with God. There's no doubt of that. When you come to Christ in faith and you put your faith and your trust in Him, then the big problem that you and I have, what happens when we die, where do we spend our eternity, yeah, that's taken care of. And that's, and that's a big thing, and that is the biggest thing. I mean, if that's wrong, does it matter you get, if you get anything else right in your life? If when you die, you miss heaven. So the, the big problem is solved, but the little problems of, the, of this world still exist. Why? Because we live in a broken world. God has not yet redeemed this world. He has not yet restored this world to its previous glory. It's a broken world. And so Habakkuk receives this vision. He, he's, given, he's given a vision from God, and it's God peering into his heart and bringing up in Habakkuk's heart all these things that are there, all these questions. Now, let me just say, God showed Habakkuk what he was feeling so that Habakkuk would be honest enough to confess to God what was going on. Sometimes we don't go to God with our problems because 
we're afraid to, to voice them. Dear friend, God is big enough to handle the hard questions. God's big enough to handle the times when you and I doubt. Jesus didn't turn and run when Thomas stood before him with doubt. Jesus said, all right, Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side. Take a look for yourself. I can answer your questions. I can give your faith a boost. God can do that for you. Bring the tough questions to him. In order to understand the, the, these questions, understand the context of what's going on. So let me give you kind of a quick history. You know, for the Israelites, the two greatest kings that ever, ever lived were David and Solomon. Uh, with David, they, they were just undefeatable. I mean, he just went forth and, and was a king of war, and, and everywhere he fought, he won. And then, of course, the kingdom of God, the, the, the Israelite kingdom of God under Solomon expanded to just its unknown uh, potential. It's just, it just was the richest kingdom this world's ever known. Uh, it had influence all throughout the world. And so all, they were the number one superpower of the world. But then the train got off the tracks. There was a period where Literally, the people of God, because of uh, the leadership such as Solomon, uh, began to rebel against God. And unfortunately, decay set in. Decay and decline set in. And it, it affected not only Solomon and his life, but the people. And they got into idolatry. Uh, now, after Solomon died, there was a civil war for control of the kingdom. And it actually broke into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And for a time, God spared Judah even under a good king. He brought about revival and, and reform to the nation, but it didn't last forever. It didn't last, didn't last very long. And Judah once again turned to paganism and idolatry, disregarded God's word, dis, uh, disregarded the, the law of God. And so uh, God said, I'm going to do something. Now, keep in mind this. This is what's important about this book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk being a priest and a prophet had been praying about the problem of the people. I'm sure that, that he had been a faithful man of God praying about where the hearts of the people were in idolatry. And he had been asking God to do something to solve the problem. Well, the problem for Habakkuk is that God is now going to do something about the people's problem of idolatry. He's going to answer Habakkuk's prayer, but it's not going to be the way Habakkuk wanted it answered. You know, those saying is, be careful what you ask God for, because he may just give it to you. Habakkuk was asking God to do something. Well, God said, all right, I'm going to do something. But it wasn't the way Habakkuk wanted God to do it. And so this book is his prayer journal, and, and he's calling out to God day after day, week after week. He's, he, he's, he's calling out to God month after month, and, and then God tells him what he's going to do, and panic sets in. Uh, to, to just put it bluntly, it hit DEFCON 5. I mean, it was, you know, it was a nuclear war between God and Habakkuk now. His faith was truly on the ropes. His faith was about to, to give in. Now, 
he almost insultingly says to God, I know you're not dead. I know you're still alive. But are you deaf? Can you not hear me, God? Have you ever been there? Saying, God, do you not hear? You've cried, you've poured out your heart, you, you, you've poured out your problems to God, and you, you feel like you've been knocking on a door and no one's there. You, you've been ringing the phone and he won't pick up. Ever been a time where in your prayer life you just wondered if you were the only one that was even hearing it? Maybe you've been praying over something in your life. It may have been a sickness. It may have been a, a hurt. It may have been a... a, a falling and failing marriage it may have been something that 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 was breaking your heart and your prayers didn't seem like they were getting higher any higher than the ceiling and and he couldn't understand why God seemed to be so indifferent towards what was ripping his heart out why God didn't have any action and and things were getting worse verses three and four how do you make me see iniquity? How do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Uh, the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. And so justice that does happen goes out perverted. And so he's looking at his country. He's looking at his people. and he, he, It's disgusting him what's happening. And, and God seems to be so inactive. What's going on in Judah is, is much like what's going on in America. You know, Habakkuk is saying to the Lord, these folks are messed up. The culture is messed up. Families are messed up. The entire thing is messed up. Man, does that not sound like America today? On this Memorial Sunday, does it not sound like where we are as a people? Too many children are in a home where there's no dad to be found. We have mothers today that are cheerleading the fact that they have the right to put their little babies to death in their womb. And even cheering now that shortly after they're born, let's put them to death if they're an inconvenience. Infanticide has become a thing in our nation. Law enforcement today is a mess. The legal system today seems to reward only those who have money and power. Too many justices seem too bent on doing someone else's job and, and not really carrying out the demands of justice. Let's don't even get started on the elected officials. I mean, that's a whole soup of just craziness in it. I mean, today you could do the right thing and what? Get sued and lose everything you have. Today we have to worry about things such as mass shootings, abuse in the home, road rage, Political and racial rights that just spew hatred from one group, from one person to another. I mean, our, our world, our nation is struggling. And maybe you feel a little bit like Habakkuk. God, do you not see what's going on? Do you not care? And there's three things that's really upsetting him. One, God is indifferent. Two, God is inactive. And three, in his mind, in his heart, God seems to be very inconsistent. God isn't speaking, he isn't acting, he isn't doing anything that Habakkuk thinks that he ought to do. And, and he pours his heart out and God responds back, but it doesn't really even 
connect with Habakkuk because in verse 12, he starts a second complaint. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at the traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man who's more righteous than he? Habakkuk is frustrated with God. As a matter of fact, he's really telling God off. Can I let you in on the secret? God already knows how you feel. Why don't you just go ahead and tell him? I mean, he already knows what's in your mind. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows the questions that exist. So go ahead and give them to him. He's big enough, I promise you, to handle your questions, your doubt, your discouragement. Uh, he, he's, he's big enough to deal with it. He already knows. He knows our frustrations. Now, keep in mind what we will see as you go through this book is God's basic reply for Habakkuk is a lesson. But that lesson is really a lesson for all of us. And what is that lesson? Here it is. We must not ever judge God by what we think we would do if we were God. You know why? Because we're not God. We're not God. That's Habakkuk's dilemma. He had reached a point in his life where he thought he knew better than God. And now he is doubting what the God of heaven is really doing. And Rebekah is saying, God, I can't believe that you're going to raise up a nation that's more wicked than our nation. Yeah, we're bad, but they're worse. That you're going to raise up a nation that's more sinful in my nation. Yeah, we're sinful, but Lord, that's, they're, just, they're just outright evil and wicked. God, I can't believe you're going to raise up a nation more horrible in the way that they, they go out in this world to destroy my nation. I mean, you know, we're not the best of people, but we're not riding through villages and raping and pillaging and doing. I just can't see it. Can you hear the disappointment with God? So number one, and I can't drive this home enough. When your faith is about to fail, and I mean whatever it is you've been praying for, whatever it is that's between you and God where you don't think God's measuring up, get honest to God about it. Write it in a journal. Put it in your prayers. Let God know. Let yourself know what really is bothering you. But now don't just stop there. If you stop there, then you're not going to have the healing and you're not going to have the help that you need. A second thing that Habakkuk does in this chapter. Number two, he commits to God and trust. He confronts God truthfully, but secondly, he commits to God and trust. Listen, when you are honest about your disappointments... When you're honest about where you're doubting God, you've reached a crossroad in life. One of the things that I've discovered is when I'm frustrated with God, usually what's happened to me is I've come to a crossroad. Now, you know what a crossroads means, don't you? Don't you? It means you've got to decide. You've got to make a decision. Well, what's the decision? It's one of two things. 
Will I go my way or will I go God's way? Will I trust God or will I trust self? So here's Habakkuk. He's at a crossroads. He's frustrated. He's he's disappointed. He's discouraged. He's full of doubt. He's at a crossroads. Will I be the prophet of God? Will I be the man of God? Will I still trust in God? Or am I going to trust in my way? You're going to have to decide. Now follow me here. Instead of giving Habakkuk what he wanted for his country, God was going to give Habakkuk what his country needed. Are you willing to accept that God on the throne of your life? Are you willing to accept the God that won't necessarily give you what you want, but maybe what you need? Remember I said at the beginning, be careful what you pray for. God may just answer the prayer in a way that you don't like. Why? The Bible tells us God's ways are not our ways. Our God is, first of all, He's eternally wise. I'm going to just tell you, if you haven't figured it out yet or not, He's a lot smarter than you and I are. I mean, He's lived... (laughs) A lot longer, hadn't he? I mean, he's as old as eternity past. Uh, he is as wise as eternity future. I mean, he's above time. You and I exist within time. Time is, in a sense, a God over our life. Time does not govern God. He's eternally wise. He's also completely holy. It's really this argument that Habakkuk takes up in verses 12 and 13. He says, well, well, God, I, you know, you're a holy God. I don't understand this. You're the holy one. We need to remember that our God is not the run-of-the-mill kind of God of the world. He's everlasting. He is holy. He's not limited the way that you and I are limited. And he sees all that needs to be seen. He sees from eternity past to eternity future. He sees completely in our present. So step back away from the problem. Step back away from that prayer. Step back away from that frustration. Step back away from what you want, what you're asking God to do, and ask God to help you see with perspective. That's what Nehemiah, uh, 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 Abekah does here. He says, my God, my Holy One. He's really putting God's character to the question. If you are holy God, how can you do this? And he goes on here. God's response answers this. Now, don't misinterpret what is meant here. This does not mean that God does not see sin. God sees everything. Nothing's hidden from him. No no thought, no deed, no action is hidden from the eyes of God. And what is meant here is that though God does see sin, he doesn't look upon sin with approval. So, you know, we can hear a dirty joke. We can laugh at it. uh, God cannot. Uh, We can see uh, maybe something that's kind of a dirty or questionable picture and stare at it. God does not. He's perfect in his holiness. And Habakkuk's arguing with God and he's asking him, well, are you sure, God, you're doing the right thing here? Because he's, he's really doubting this. 
But if he is God, he, and he is, he must be holy. And if he is God and he is, he must be perfect. And then Habakkuk goes on to say, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you see that? O rock, that's my anchor. That's my place of faith. That's my focus. You have, adorned, you have uh, 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 called them to execute your punishment. In other words, God, you are sovereign, sovereign in power. You're the one that controls the destinies of men. You control this world and everything that's in it. And although the Babylonians thought they rose up on their own, no, God, you're the one that did it. You have a plan. You have a purpose. And all this kind of comes together for Habakkuk. I tend to get in. We don't understand what God is up to. We can't understand why God is doing the things or laid out things in our life the way things have been laid out. We, we've been disappointed, frustrated, full of doubt. And finally, it dawns on him. If God is eternally wise, he has a plan, a plan that will work, and a plan that is best, and a plan that is right. If God is perfect, if God is holy, if God is sovereign, then the situation really can't be that bad. Now, can it? He had a change of perspective. He honestly confronted God with where he was at. God told him, Habakkuk, you don't, you don't know everything. I'm doing a work here, and you need to trust me. And his perspective changed, and he put it back on his rock, God. He put his faith back on God. Let me ask you a question this morning as we close. Do you believe me when I say that even when things are off track and even when things look their most bleak and dark, that God's got a plan and God has got a purpose that God has got something more perfect in mind? You say, well, I want to. I want to. Well, let me help you. I want you to go back with me for, for a moment. Let's go back 2,000 years. Let's go back 2,000 years. And there are some children of God. One's a mother. One's a friend, one's a brother, another is a close business associate and follower. And there they are, they're standing at the foot of three crosses. And in the middle is a son a brother, a friend, a business associate. For three years, they've been following and going with him in step by step. He had told them that he was the Messiah. He was the promised one. They, they believed it. They believed that he was God in the flesh who had come. 
But now they're looking upon him, and there he is. And he is stripped naked. He is put in the most difficult position that a person can be put in in terms of security. I mean, he is laid bare. He has been beaten into hamburger meat. He's covered in blood and flies, and he's lost his bowels. He's urinated on himself, I'm sure, by now. He is more than a hot mess hanging on an old bloody cross. I'm sure these group of God's children are saying, God, how could you? How can you? He had never done any wrong. He had never done anything bad. He, he did not deserve this. God, where are you? Could, you? could you not picture where these disciples, where these followers were filled with disappointment in the God of heaven? Why could he not have sent one angel, let alone 10,000, to rescue our Savior. And then the moment comes. He dies. His limp, ragged, nasty, dead body taken off of that old tree. They're in such disappointment they are in such doubt they're in such fear they don't even ask for the body a couple other brave courageous friends of secret get the body of jesus and put it in a borrowed tomb it takes three days before they muster up a courage just to go to the tomb to see about doing some preparation for the body. There must have been three long nights of discouragement and disappointment in God in those believers. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? Then Sunday came. And the stone was rolled away. And the tomb was empty. And the angel said, He is not here. He is risen. And in that moment, discouragement and doubt and disappointment fled away. And joy flooded in. Hope was alive. He's alive. What was a miserable walk to the garden tomb was a sprint back to the upper room. Who could get there first to tell of the news that he's risen? I don't know what darkness you you're in today. I can promise you it's no darker 
than what those disciples were in before the cross when Jesus died. And I can't promise you that you won't hit the grave disappointed with God. And I can't promise you that you won't hit the grave discouraged. But what I can promise you is that one day God will change your perspective. It may not be until you and I are in heaven when we see what God was really doing and why our pain and our hurt was necessary to his glory and to our good. And I can promise you there will be a day and Revelation tells us that every tear will be wiped away and every heart that's hurting will be healed to the glory of our God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, today there are many whose lives are broken and hurting. And we confess that in these broken, hurting moments of our life, that God, we sometimes grow angry at you, frustrated and discouraged and disappointed, God. And our prayer this morning is that, God, that we could have a change of heart and perspective like Habakkuk. Not that the things of life will make any more sense. Not that we can understand it in any perhaps clearer way. But, Lord, this much we know, that you are God. You are on the throne. And you have complete say. And your way is always best. Even when it is the way of sorrow. Lord, perhaps someone today needs to give their heart to you. To confess sin and to ask Jesus for you to be their Lord and Savior. That's the first great need of life. The big problem of our relationship with holy God. And Lord, then, once that problem's dealt with, all the other problems of our life are easier handled because now we have faith in you to lay grip to those things that weigh us down. Lord, whatever decision be a, a plea of salvation or a plea of renewal, Lord, let your word and your will be done today. It is in your name we pray, dear Jesus. Amen.